0: Hello, hello. Hello. Finally. Hello. It's been, okay, so first of all, this is my first interview with the Angel Dog podcast. And I am thrilled that it is Dr. John Faraday, who is here in, well, you're not, you don't live in Asheville, but you work in Asheville.
1: Asheville area.
0: The Asheville area. And I'm no John for, we were just talking, what is it, what? 12 years yeah maybe? 10
1: 15 years somewhere in there
0: yeah all and the and it was all through animals yeah mostly dogs yeah and he's extraordinary I'm thrilled <laughs> to have him here yeah super talented man very gifted at what he does and um welcome well thank you for your kind words it's nice to a brown nose and nice right off at the very right. beginning. absolutely <laughs> no but true very true I <laughs> I Just so you all know that I just sent everybody to John. It's just like, oh, you need to go see John. Your dog needs to see John.
1: Yeah, the big challenge is I just don't work that much anymore, so people can't, <laughs> can't, <laughs> can't go. coordinate. I don't know why everyone can't just have my schedule, but it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> well. I know, and conveniently live yeah. next door. Yes. Yeah, right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, John, let's just kind of jump in here. Mm-hmm. Is I've seen you again so, so many years and I ask a gazillion questions and you're really great at sharing information. But if you were talking to a lay person on the street and they've got, cause there's so many dogs I see or cause you know, that's what we're talking about really, but you can talk about other animals if there's a great story, but it's that you can see things that are going on and how can you help the people to help their dogs? Mm-hmm. Are there... Certain things that you would say, hey, this is this is my bottom line for you, or the ideal, or anything like that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of things that owners, pet owners, can look for. Uh, the first question I'll have with people typically is, what's been their experience with chiropractic care? People use it for different things in their lives. People and animals? Uh, are you looking for performance related uh, questions? Just make the machine of motion work better, more efficiently? Is there a particular problem going on? As a pet owner, you look at pattern changes. Is the dog having more difficulty getting up, not going up and down stairs? Limping every so often, pulling one leg up, shifting weight? If you watch them from the back, and you sort of blur your eyes. How symmetrical are they from side to side, uh, right to left? Um, do they sit with one leg out all the time do they just different, different things that seem asymmetrical. It could be normal. It could be a pattern. It could be an inkling that something's going on. Um, frequently I will see dogs that are in no pain. Um, They may have something going on that the veterinarians aren't able to completely get rid of or it's just a mechanical problem. Um, Chiropractic is very good at uh, looking at and assessing and helping correct mechanical imbalances of motion. And so that's where chiropractic shines, it shines very well for people um, it probably in some ways works better for animals because they're more they're wired a little different they're wired more for motion we have certain things we put ourselves into as people that are very repetitive uh, and animals don't do that unless we ask them to do some competitive thing um, so for general uh, general public uh, i would basically say let's watch your dog walk does it look the same from the right? Does it look the same from the left? Are, are the legs symmetrical in terms of how they're moving? Um, is the tail in the middle? Is the tail off to one side? Does one shoulder come higher? Is the head low? Is the head high? Uh, postural things is basically what most people will notice. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, Large variety. I'll see dogs that limp all the time. I'll see dogs that limp once in a while. Um, I had a young dog a couple of weeks ago that came in that all of a sudden he wasn't putting any weight on his right shoulder. You know, that right paw come down, he'd pull it back up. Young dog, nobody could find any pathology. Um, he just tweaked his shoulder like a person would. Similar injuries to dogs that we see with people, muscles, ligaments, joint dysfunction. It's all kind of the same. It's just a little different pattern with quadrupeds than we have with bipeds. Uh, in terms of stresses and shear forces and vectors and that sort of thing. Um, Ask me more.
0: You know, because I, okay, I'm going to totally ignore the questions on the sheet of paper. (laughs) One thing you mentioned to me, which I found fascinating, was that our spines are vertical, whereas the dogs are horizontal. And that makes a difference.
1: Right. So a dog or horse or any quadruped, is more of a rear-wheel drive vehicle, so they engage in their hindquarters and push forward. So the spine is designed to allow that to happen. So as a spine comes forward from the pelvis, the, the joints move in a certain direction. When they get to the middle of the back, that direction changes. So a dog can be going one direction, be able to look all the way behind them. And then when it gets to the shoulder neck area, it changes again. So again, the dog can have different ranges of motion for what a dog might need to do. For a person. We ambulate forward with our legs, but we're not going from, from our rear to our front. So our front our front limbs or our shoulders are separate from our rear, shol- rear legs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so we have a thing called closed chain mechanics. When a dog's foot is on the ground or when my foot is on the ground, my ankle, my knee, my hip, and my low back are connected. Mm-hmm. When my front... If I'm on all fours, same thing happens with my front extremities, which usually does not happen for people unless you fall or unless you're doing a particular activity. Dogs are loaded on all four legs, so their injuries tend to be closed-chain mechanical injuries. That leg's down. It can be injured anywhere along that chain, wrist, elbow, shoulder, neck. It just finds its way to the point of least resistance and sort of settles in there a lot of times. So a lot of times we'll see a limp that will get better when you work on it and you'll find that it's really coming from the knee, not the hip. The hip is just trying to adapt for it or vice versa. It can go in either direction. So so the locomotion is different in a quadruped. And so all of the joints and the feedback systems to the brain are different. A dog needs to be able to react quickly. We have to be able to react quickly as well, but we can react differently with our front extremities than our rear extremities. In animals, it's connected. Um, So I always, one of the things I notice as animals age, they tend to shift forward and become a little more front wheel drive. Um, they get degenerative changes or spinal changes in their joints. It gets a little stiff, just like people. You know, it's a little harder to get up, takes a little more to warm up. So a dog just tends to shift their weight forward. This becomes real strong in the front, and then the back end gets a little weaker. It's a typical scenario as a dog gets older. So one of the things we do is not just... Make sure motion's working from the chiropractic perspective, but give stretches and give exercises at home to keep that dog as long as possible using that hind end so those muscles stay strong because the tendency is for that to get weak and then a dog can't jump or they can't go upstairs or they can't do things and so then they don't try anymore and then the muscles get weaker and weaker and weaker is what happens. And they can pull, they can pull themselves up, they can pull themselves in, but the hind legs stop working as well. And the nerves that go to other areas that go through the low back can be affected too, um, sometimes indirectly because the nerves take the same pathways. So it's pretty interesting to look at a quadruped spine. And so forces in people are very compressive. Uh, gravity's pulling us down. Um, in a horizontal spine, compression is coming down, but there's a lot more shear force from side to side this way and we get a certain amount of that when we move, but not so much when we walk or when we run or when we chase things. Um, and so those factors create different kinds of injuries in dogs than you see in people, although the structures that are injured tend to be the same, muscles, ligaments, joints. So it's kind of, there's a lot of similarities in terms of the structures and the mechanics involved with joint movement the forces involved and the typical injuries involved are different because of the locomotion differences. It's pretty interesting to watch. Well, you know, we brought
0: Gabe to you recently mm-hmm. and you were talking to him talking to us about the shift for his body. Right. Because he's aging and you gave us those different exercises which we do twice a day and also look for places where he can drive running up the hill. Right. You know to really reinforce that right. the back muscle, the yeah. back quadrant there. Yeah or back in and it's made a difference for him and in his confidence
1: well that becomes one of those things as a dog ages just like us our eyesight's not quite as good uh you know you fall a couple times or you slip or you can't do something and your confidence does fail a little bit and so uh, confidence is a big deal for an animal and so it is for people too but for animals it's you know they'll just they won't do it if they think they're going to slip uh, they'll just shift forward automatically the nervous system's wired to do that so it does it very easily and so the confidence becomes a, a, a real important part of it and then suddenly they'll go oh i can do this and then they start doing it again uh, we'll second guess it because we're people dogs won't second guess it they'll realize they can do it they'll start doing it again that's another thing is that you shared that animals,
0: like we may need treatment that just goes on and on and on for a long time. And with animals, it's like a few treatments and they're often going.
1: Typically, I find I don't, I see animals a lot less than I used to see people. Uh, again, it's probably because of patterns. People sit at a desk, the same desk, the same direction. The window's in the same place. Their computer's in the same place. They get up the same way. They get in and out of the car the same way. It becomes real repetitive over 20 or 30 years. Um, Dogs just want to chase a squirrel. They just—they don't care how they do it. And so when we add agility work or some repetitive motion sport to a dog, we're asking them to do repetitive things. They're probably not going to do that on their own. You know, they might go through one or two weave poles to get a squirrel. They're not going through 10. You know, they'll go around it. And so one of the things I share with my agility folks is, There's value and sort of a relationship we have with our animals. If we're going to ask them to do repetitive things that can create micro traumas that eventually in their lives could create a problem, we owe them the benefit of chiropractic care and or massage and or acupuncture and or things to minimize the impact of that stuff. You know, uh, when dogs are competing at a high level in agility, they're very good, but they had a bunch of falls or a bunch of mishaps to get really good. Mm-hmm. Just like we do. We don't ride a bike the first time up hills. You know, we fall, we fall over, we get up, our nervous system learns the balance. Um, you know, it's the same thing with animals. And so, and so I think there's, there's a lot of value in, um, you know, doing stretches at home and keeping hind end uh, strong as long as possible. And if we're asking our animal to do repetitive stuff, even more. You know, and so having other people involved so that we don't have to be, if there's three of us in the house, all three of us need to be doing things, you know, with our dog, you know, and we're sitting around with it, lifting one leg and making them balance, just little things that you build into your everyday um, so so that it happens, but it it's effective. It works faster. Animals are wired different. Horses and dogs are fight and flight animals, and so their nervous system engages a little faster than ours does. Uh, dogs tend to be fight animals. Horses tend to be flight animals. They just run and then look around for danger. Dogs just you know are ready to fight if they need to, but it's instant. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have reflexes, and we have a lot of instantaneous things, but it's it's just wired differently. And so I think that's why dogs get better faster. Um You know, you basically when you adjust something or you work on a muscle or a joint, you're putting a force into a system and the system has to do something with that force. And so with animals, it just seems to happen faster, probably because they don't have patterns like people do. I think that's a lot of it. Um, Again, other than the patterns we ask them to do, and that's not eight hours a day like it might be for a person, you know. Oh God, I got all kinds of questions
0: flying through my head. Okay, so we'll just throw this away. I know. So when we're looking at you're talking about competitive dogs, like or you athletic dogs Mm -hmm. that compete, are there other types like I'm looking like a hunting dog or other kinds of jobs that dogs do, like maybe a service dog, and they're like having to pull doors open or do different things.
1: Well, as a chiropractor, I value chiropractic just as a as a health modality, and mm-hmm. so I get I get adjusted. I go to chiropractor every month, um, not because I'm in pain. If I, I will go if I'm in pain, but it's one of those methods that I use personally. So any animal can benefit from it, whether they're in pain or not. Just in terms of balancing things, like your car would benefit if you got your tires rotated once a week and balanced every week. They'd last longer, Yes. but we don't do that. And so for young dogs, people say, well, I've got a dog that's 13 months old. How often do they have to be adjusted? Well, it's real different depending on you know, what their breed is and what you're asking them to do. But typically, if you just wanna do maintenance for a dog, three, four times a year should be enough for most dogs because they use their right side, they use their left side, they go both ways. Um, You know, people, again, it's different. It depends on uh, what's going on. And typically in a chiropractic practice, you might not have someone coming to see you until they've already had knee surgery. They've had three or four low back incidents. They already have a herniated disc that's just got flared up. So you got a lot of things to deal with. Uh, with dogs, people notice pretty quickly when something's not working, and they seek help nine times out of ten. Veterinary help, chiropractic help, some kind of help, because they notice something's going on with my dog. They may not be able to know what it is, but they know something's up. Um, so, you know, I think animals, I think quadrupeds, at least my experience has been quadrupeds tend to change their mechanics faster. And so the outcomes, in terms of what I'm looking for, what an owner hopefully is looking for as well, are, are just quicker. Well, you also
0: noticed that, excuse me, you noted that you're working with chiropractors, with veterinarians. Mm-hmm. So you have a good relationship yes. with the local veterinarians. Yeah it's not a competitive...
1: It's not competitive. Um, You know, the two professions need to work together. If we want to provide chiropractic care for animals, you know, a veterinarian's gonna learn chiropractic care hopefully from an institute that has chiropractors teaching as well, not just in a weekend seminar. You don't learn a profession in a weekend. And so I look at an animal differently mechanically than a veterinarian does, and we use a lot of the same things that we look for as well. Veterinarians are very good at telling this is you know a knee thing, this is a hip thing, this is a low back thing. Their tools are a little different in terms of how they might treat it. They might treat it with meds, okay. um, rest, sometimes rehab. Uh, they don't treat it by... Uh, using the chiropractic model of manipulation and balancing muscles and some of those things, and so the the treatment methods we use are different. The animals we see have the same conditions. So a lot of times a veterinarian will see a mechanical problem. They'll use anti inflammatories. Gets better, goes away. And then if that problem keeps coming back, what that tells me is you didn't change the mechanics, or you minimized the ability of the animal to be able to get through the inflammation. I think it's fine to use anti-inflammatories or something to decrease that inflammation. If it keeps coming back, something else is going on. Right. And so that's where a veterinarian will say, let me take a look at this and tell me if you think something's going on. And then you get the mechanics to change. Then the dog gets back to normal faster. There's a lot of exceptions to that, of course, uh, but typically I see my animal, my small animals, except at an agility trial or some sporting event, I see them in a vet office. So then I can also ask my veterinary colleagues questions. You know, what is this on the x-ray? I have no idea what this is. To use their expertise, then the animals... You know, get the benefit of both. And I think there's a lot of value in that. I completely respect the the knowledge base of my veterinary colleagues because they're veterinarians and they're trained completely different than I am. Mm -hmm. And I can, if people ask me veterinary questions all the time and I say, you know, that is a question for your veterinarian. Um, be it nutrition or whatever Um, ask me mechanical stuff uh, I'll tell you and you may be still something you want to the veterinarian is your family doctor for your animal they need to be involved and so it's important for me to have a working relationship with the veterinarian and uh, whatever office they come from if they come to me at the office I'm at they don't have to switch veterinarians they need to have a veterinarian and it's important for me to be able to talk to that veterinarian if I need to to ask some questions about this animal so that we can give them the best care that we can. I mean, that's what it's about, so.
0: Which leads to the obvious <laughs> questions for anybody who doesn't know you, Dr. John, is tell us about your background, because it is not, you, you didn't go to veterinary school.
1: No, I went to chiropractic school um, and moved to Asheville in 1985 and had a chiropractic practice seeing people until a couple years ago, and started seeing animals in the late 90s. What what drove that? Patients. They'd come in and they'd say, "My vet, you know, I'd be working with someone who has a disc problem or a neck problem, and the veterinarian would say, you know, my dog says I have the same thing, or my dog has the same thing that I do, would would the care help my dog? And I'd say, yeah, probably would. And they said, would you work look at my dog? I said, no, I don't know anything about dogs. Um, And that happened several times. Uh And so I just said, you know, I wonder if there's any decent training out there. I really didn't know much about it. I knew some chiropractors worked on animals. I didn't know if there was a specific training. And at the time, there was one institute called Options for Animals that trained licensed veterinarians or licensed chiropractors in animal chiropractic. So it was a team approach. The head person who started it was a veterinarian and a chiropractor. She had both degrees. And so she was able to bridge both of those worlds with terminology and understanding. And so then the team would be a set of veterinarians and a set of chiropractors that would, would help with the class. And as a chiropractor, I would learn... Basic veterinary te- uh, handling techniques or zoonotic diseases. Basic veterinary things that I need to know about. And a veterinarian would learn basic chiropractic philosophies and what an adjustment is and what you know that sort of thing. And so then we would merge all of that into this, hopefully at some point, different field called animal chiropractic because it's really some of both. Yeah. Um, and so that. I called a friend of mine who I knew worked on horses and she said, yeah, you need to check out options. So I went, I signed up for one class. Classes were like four days. You had to go to Illinois to attend them in the middle of the winter. And, and uh, you know, I said, I'll go to one and see if it's valuable in our profession. There's lots of seminars. Yeah. Some of them are incredibly good. Some of them are not very good and they're all very expensive. And I had a practice, I had a family, to leave for four days, Uh, it was a big deal. It's a big deal. So I went up there and uh, I was just fascinated by this team approach of teaching and just the facilities, you know, all the animal skulls and all the animal spines and all the things we could look at and and ask each other and basically, you know, learn from each other. Um, And it was great four days. So I came back and said, yeah, I think I'm going to commit to doing this. It would, at the time, it, you had to finish these uh, five different modules in about two years. Mm-hmm. And then you took a proficiency test. And then you had to continue doing continuing ed, which I still do. Um so I came back Monday morning, I had some patients, and somebody called and said, I have this dog, <laughs> uh, and I hear you're working on animals. Nashville's kind of a small town, and I said, no, I'm not working on animals, I am exploring that, and I'm probably going to at some point, and I, I you know, I, I can't work on animals yet, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, he said, well, I've got an appointment to have my dog euthanized at 12 o'clock, would you be willing to look at this? It was like mid-morning, and Ooh. it's like... What am I going to tell this guy? I said, well, sure, I'll look at it. You may still keep that appointment. I have no idea what I'm doing here. Um, Boy, the universe was tapping on your door. Yeah, kind of banging on it, actually. Yeah. Was so anyway, this, this was a, um, I said, you know, talk to Sarah. They figured out when they come in at the end of the morning, they brought this dog in. And the, the animal chiropractic course I just attended was about the pelvis. Mm-hmm. Okay, this dog had a neck problem real clearly had a neck problem. You put it down, it would tighten up like this, fall over and start screaming. Oh my I And mean, it was in lots of pain. And the veterinarians had pretty much exhausted what they could do in their opinion. And they just felt like, you know, we don't have anything else to offer. Um, and so I just uh, said, you know, I'm pretty sure this is a neck problem. I don't know anything about a dog neck other than a couple skeletons that I looked at when I was up at options. I said, I'm willing to do this. You may still be keeping your euthanasia appointment. And I just want you to know ahead of time, I'm only doing this because of this situation. And I adjusted this dog, just kind of closed my eyes and did with my hands, kind of know what to do. And i uh, You know, I didn't know what to tell this person to expect. Typically, when I adjust a person, I'll say, here's what you can expect. You may be a little sore. Look for this, look for that. Um, I said, I have no idea what to tell you. And he called me the next morning and said, you know, Cotton was the name of this dog, uh, was very sore, but got up in the middle of the night, shook his head, and ran off. Oh, my word. And so that was like my first experience. And I'd seen that with people. I'd seen the quote-unquote miracles. It aren't miracles. They seem like they are because it's so dramatic. Um, And this dog had its upper cervicals completely jammed, probably from a fall. And the spinal cord is very big up there, and so it was affecting a lot of areas of the dog. And as I remember back, the fall had happened some time ago. Um, anyway, and it's a similar situation with my first horse and another horse, a horse that was going to be euthanized. And I, you know, I said, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing here. I'm happy to do it. I don't know what to tell you what to expect. You may still keep your veterinary appointment. Um, and both of those were huge successes. And so it motivated me to finish the training and, and then just start seeing animals. And um, that's what I've been doing ever since. Well, so what, are you an animal Lover, because you were doing people. But- oh, yeah, I love animals. Animals enrich our lives in a, in a huge way, especially dogs. I mean, you know, they're family members for people. Absolutely. Uh, probably most of our lives, one of the first losses we experienced, hopefully, uh, was an animal, not a person. Um, you know, it's part of our lives It's part of our culture. Um, I would go to the farm with my grandfather and, you know, I love being around animals. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't that I was motivated to do animal chiropractic cause I really didn't know that much about it, even though, and of course it makes sense. Um, but it was these, these patients just, you know, and, and this dog I told about actually wasn't a patient, but patients who came in with similar problems, said you know why don't we have animal chiropractic available for those animals it might help and so that was sort of my exploration to bring it to Asheville, and and still working on uh, some of the legalities between the vet board and the chiropractic board and to make this so that if people are doing it they're trained and there's a certain level of competence and there's a certain level of continuing ed and that both licenses can encompass that and you know when you deal with uh, licensing boards, you have certain politics you have to deal with as well. And so we're still working on it in this state. Many states are getting a practice act together that kind of combined the two. Uh, North Carolina hasn't done that yet. so.
0: But but you even got to the point that you just stopped seeing people altogether.
1: Yeah, for a couple reasons. One is, you know, I don't want to work all the time anymore. I saw people for 30 years. When I moved to Asheville, there was eight chiropractors. Now there's 30, 40. So people can be taken care of. There's not a lot of people doing animal chiropractic. So that's what I get to do now. So your motivation is from your heart? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 so fun. Uh, you know, have a day where I see Fluffy and Floyd and Kitty and Gabriel. And, you know, those are the first I'm on first name basis with all my patients. Yes, it's really cool. And, you know, every patient that comes in, as you know, gets homework, you know, so that what I'm hopefully what I do in the office lasts longer. And mm-hmm. people can have tools and develop the skills of, oh man, I didn't really, yeah, something's going on here. Let me check that. Um, you know, and then you know when you need some help with something and that keeps animals in our lives longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, there's a finite lifestyle for, life, lifespan, excuse me, for a dog. There's a finite lifespan for people. You know, let's stay healthy as long as possible in our lives, and in our animals' lives, keep them as healthy and moving as long as possible. It just enriches all of our lives to have animals in our lives. I think right now I have two cats; they kind of make the rules. So, well, I was
0: just going to ask you about that. Okay, we're we're getting our minds think going yeah, just fine well, here. I
1: haven't I haven't had a lot of dogs in my life. I've mostly had golden retrievers uh-huh. um, and they, and labs and dogs like that. I've uh, and there's always been cats and dogs around. Um, We inherited two cats from uh, someone who had passed away, and so they're very dog-phobic. We've had them for two years, and I imagine they had some bad experiences with dogs on the street. And so we don't have dogs right now at the house because it's really hard for these cats. Are they indoor, outdoor? They're indoor and outdoor, and they're okay if we're outside and friends come by with dogs or somebody brings a dog to work on. As long as they stay, they keep their distance. But the dog gets a certain amount of uh, distance close to them. You can see the... the, uh, Nervous system kicking in on the cat, so to speak. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. so that's the scenario right now. And I don't have horses. Um, I'm happy to go take care of other people's horses. So, horses are everyday job as well. Um, You know, cleaning out stalls and rounding this up and that up. And um, so, you know, the animals in my life at home are two cats right now. I've had a lot of animals, including goats over the years. Uh, goats and some horses and dogs and 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 now we just have two cats
0: so even i mean you at one point you even had a whole bunch of chickens
1: did have some chickens and you know i realized that everything eats chicken owls owls eat chicken and hawks eat chickens and i wanted these chickens to be healthy so that they could be out and you know scratching and getting grubs and you know i kept losing chickens so now i get my eggs from the neighbor who has chickens uh, and it all works out fine. And actually, my chickens got a home at one of the local schools. So the kids took care of them and learned about taking care of chickens. So it worked out fine after I lost about three of them. I just didn't want to deal with keeping lo- continuing losing them. I live out in the country, and there's a lot of predators. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, if they don't get back in time, the predators know uh, where they are. So it it got to be one of those things. So, yeah. It was fun having my grandson help me with the chickens. Did you have names for each of them? No, I didn't raise them from eggs or from chicks. I got them when they were already a year too old to see if I wanted chickens, so I really didn't have names for them. My grandson yeah. had a couple of them named. Yeah, yeah. I had pet chickens. Yeah. Had oh, they're incredibly uh, you know, domesticated and friendly uh, birds, if they know you. Yeah, You know, otherwise yeah. they're a little cautious, which is probably good until they do know you. But if you raise an animal, you have a different relationship with it than if you inherit one when it's already mature. Well, so you're going
0: to barns and you're mm-hmm. going you're going all over the place. And you're, first of all, you're a stranger to the animal when you first see them. However, right. you have an energy about, you have such a kindness that, you know, they, they, they can feel
1: that. There's a caution you have to use, and I consider it more respect than anything else. Uh-huh. I respect animals, so when I'm in the vet office, I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm six foot three. Um, when a dog comes in, and they number one maybe have never been to that vet office, but they know it's a vet office, right? Or they've been to that vet office, and you know all their experiences haven't been great for whatever reason. Um, you know, dental work, they're in pain. Um, shots. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. shots you know so they can have some caution so the first time they meet me we got to take a little time to know each other so I always sit down when the dog comes in the room and the doors open so it's not a big shock um, who's this guy he's got this beard he's really tall I don't like his voice I'm in this little room you know and you can tell by a dog by a dog's demeanor if they're on guard so and or a owner will bring their dog in with a muscle. Ooh. And that of course puts me on guard. Um, and so we're, we're most of those dogs uh, let the owner use a muzzle when they first come in, especially if I don't know. After that, we don't use a muzzle unless we have to. Uh, for safety purposes. Um, most dogs don't really need to be muzzled once they know what's happening and they understand. Horses are also, animals that you need to respect you're coming into their space they don't know you a lot of horses are rescue situations dogs are rescue situations i don't know what their story is they don't know me Uh, they may have been mistreated by a man who's tall Mm -hmm. and so or somebody with a hat you know horses have a visual memory uh, especially of negative things and so people that say you know they're really sensitive in their poll well I need to respect that not just say ah you know we'll just deal with it you know my job is to respect the animal first I may still need to do something in that area so I talk to the animal I talk to the you know the way I do things with words but also the way I'm touching them so they're comfortable letting me do what I feel I need to do and if it's stressful to them you know we find another way to do it um but yeah, the introduction is an important part. If an animal is relaxed, I can get more information when I'm interacting with them than if they're, st- if they're stressed or tense. It's just the way it is. And so sometimes it means taking a horse out and letting them walk for a while, get some of that energy pent up if they haven't been out all day. Um, circle right, circle left, up a hill, down a hill. Dogs I like to watch walk as well. Um, it gives them... Uh, a chance to relax and smell and do a few things, look around, and it helps relax them. Uh, even dogs that come to the vet office that never been to that vet office, never seen me, they're in a lot of pain, I'll take them for a walk unless it's really impossible to do or it's raining really hard or something like that. Um, and then when they come back in the room, typically they're more relaxed, and so I can do what I need to do a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can maximize the information I can get, which can maximize what I do for them um, in the short amount of time I'm seeing them. So
0: you mentioned I, I want to come back to this thing you right. mentioned about talking to them, right? Because you you not only do you have your hands on them and and you're doing it. I mean you're you're so fluid. You're just you can help them because you can see when they are tense. In fact, let's talk about two things here. Okay. One, how because people don't know this. We both know this because we're around animals a lot, and we watch them, and we study them. But when, when someone is saying the dog is on guard, a lot of people are going, what does that
1: mean? What does well, that look like? It looks like their tail's down, they got a wide stance, they're ready to pounce. Their jaw could be jutted forward, their head could be down, their eyes are scanning. Um You know, it's body posture. Uh, Their hair can be a little stiffer along their spine. They're just on guard. Their nervous system's taking in a lot of information and they're ready to go into fight and flight. It's their stance. They're not fluid, they're stiff. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of move slow. They move slow. They're looking around. Horses are a little different, but, you know, they'll, they'll scan with their head and they'll prance and they'll pull their head up and they'll, you know, shuffle their feet. Um, just different behavior things. And it's real important for anybody that does animal chiropractic, if they're not an animal person to begin with, when I first started doing horses, I would simply go out to the field and watch horses. Like for an afternoon, I'd take a Tuesday or a Thursday afternoon, go watch the horses, Uh, see what they do, learn their language, quote unquote, a little bit so that I could understand things by watching them. And that's something you just have to practice. Uh, Same thing with dogs. Once you've seen a thousand dogs walk, you see different things than when you see five walk. And as with people, when you first palpate or you first get into practice, what you feel is very different than after you've seen 10,000 people over 30 years. You know, it's just your nervous system becomes more efficient at processing information. Um, and the visual component is important. So I need to watch them. Uh, and their body posture tells me a lot. Um, you know, I always have my hands on an animal. So typically if a dog's growling, I'll feel it. I right. May not, I may not see it, but I know something's up. Um And so then I may stop what I'm doing, change what I'm doing, change my perspective. Um, You know, you don't want to come at a dog from the front. That's an aggressive challenge. uh, Challenge. So you need Mm -hmm. to know some of those specific rules of of dog behavior and horse behavior so that you respect that. Um, You know, and it always works out. You know, I've had some, a lot of seemingly aggressive dogs that had their reasons for being aggressive. And my job is to respect that's who this dog is right now, coming from the space they're coming from, and how can I do what I need to do given this scenario? And usually it works out. There's been very few times when, um, it's, it's been dangerous for me or dangerous for somebody else. And, um. Uh, Horses, it's a different story because they can kick pretty fast Um, and you can get injured pretty quickly. Animals will tell you when something's up. My job is to know enough of their language body-wise to understand what they're saying and respect it and back off. You know, I call that meeting them where they are. Oh, yeah, it's meeting them exactly where they are, which is respect.
0: Right, as opposed to, it's going to go my way. I'm coming in here and I'm just taking over. Yeah. That doesn't
1: go over well. Yeah. And I work with some, you know, police dogs and, you know, they're, they're scanning everything. They walk in the room, they're checking every corner they're on right now. And, you know, you have to respect that that's who they are. You got to let them do that on a certain level. Um, and I just sit until they're ready and they're, they're happy with their environment and then we can do what we need to do. Uh, if I was just to grab them because I have to hold the dog, that's aggressive, for a dog, especially... You are uh, yeah. the aggressor. Yeah, I'm the yeah. aggressor then. Right. And especially a police dog or a dog that's, uh, you know, a special forces dog or something like that, grabbing is, is a is an aggressive uh, posturing for them, being con- being confined, being constrained. If they know me and they know what I'm doing. That can, It's a little different. After I've worked on them a couple times, they're fine. But at first, they don't know what that is. So my job is to talk to them in the way I talk to them so that they don't feel threatened. As much as possible, um, so knowing some of that's important. So you just have to spend time in those environments, understanding those animals, understanding their life, what they do, what their expectations are, what their training is, and respect it. Um, it's just really important. Obviously, if you have a people practice, you need to do the same thing. You need to respect people where they are. You're meeting them at that place. That's your starting point. And a lot of yours is nonverbal. Sure, because animals are observers. I mean, the best observers in the world probably are dogs. They notice if my finger goes right, left, my eyes oh, yeah. go up or down. Absolutely. I mean, that's how we train them uh, to do certain things. They're watchers. By, yeah. you know, they're incredible observers. And so a lot of it's nonverbal stuff. So my body posturing is really important. You know, if I'm coming from a, a hard space, they immediately pick up on that versus being relaxed and, and meeting them where they are. Uh, that's a lot easier for them to accept. Um And, you know, when I work with animals I don't know much about, uh, I've seen one lizard. I didn't know anything about lizards. You know, I had to learn a little bit about it, but I let the owner tell me, you know, like, what's a lizard do? You know, when they're upset. (coughs) Excuse me. I mean, I need to know some of that stuff. Um, Farm animals are different. I've worked on a few show cows who don't really get worked on much. Uh horses get handled all the time. Dogs get handled all the time. They're around people. Uh, Cows don't. You know, they get pushed places, they get urged to go places, but they don't really get hands-on stuff unless they've always had it from when they were really small. But that's not most most cows or uh, even sheep and goats are a little different because they get handled a little bit more because they're smaller. and so you just have to respect where they are and, and what you're trying to do and know that, you know, if I'm working on a cow that's not used to being handled and we're having to tie them up or put them in a stanchion, they're all automatically stressed out. They're automatically on guard because that's a position they don't want to be in. And so you got to respect that and still try to do what you need to do. Well, they're tense, and then so that's not as easy. Not yeah. as easy. Try to get them to relax. It's hard to get cows to relax. At least I haven't found a good way yet. There probably is a way to do it. Maybe you could sing to him, or I something. I could sing to him. That might make him even stress. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so
0: the, I guess the thing, I, when I was thinking about with talking, uh-huh. is that one of the things, one of my mentors have taught me is to tell them, this is what we're going to do. Yeah.
1: I always explain what I'm going to do. Uh, you know, when a dog first comes in, I'll, you know spend a little time with them I'll push them around let them feel me let them lean against me and then I'll say we're gonna do a little pushing and pulling here mm-hmm. I'm gonna hold you for a horse I'll talk the same way and I have no doubt they understand right you know? yeah um, and I always do that even dogs that are used to seeing me I'll say okay it's time to do a little push and pull and turn around you know and I just that's a that's my style I think it's respectful and I think it makes a difference. You know, if we know what to expect in a new situation, we're more relaxed. We're more accepting of that. And it's the same with animals. And, you know, they get it. So do you think they're getting it, Dr. John, from your
0: words? Do you think they're getting it telepathically from your vision? <laughs> you're, you know, what you're, what you're seeing inside your mind's eye?
1: I think they get it neurologically from observing and listening to my tone. Not necessarily understand. I mean, they understand some words. Uh Uh, It depends on what words they've been taught to understand in their life, Mm -hmm. but they understand gestures, they understand body posture, they understand energy, they feel energy, energy. yeah, they feel energy in a a big way. Um, So that's how I communicate with them. You know, when when I have my hands on a dog and I'm pushing them back and forth, I'm talking to them, but they're feeling my energy. They're feeling where I'm meeting them, and that's probably the most important thing. Um, you know, there's been a lot of dogs that I've seen over the years that, you know, people were really skeptical. I don't think you're going to be able to work on this dog. You know, it's a stock dog. It's very, it's a, it's a guard dog. You know, it, it doesn't. You get it out of its environment, and it's a little bit different. You know, yeah, you do. Yeah. But again, you just have to respect where that dog is in their life what they do for a living if they're a working dog Mm -hmm. and do the best you can. But communication is essential because they're observing you whether you're talking to them or not. Oh, totally. You know, especially dogs. Horses do too and probably all animals do, but dogs are keen observers. They, you know, you work with some agility dogs and you notice they missed a jump. Well, the reason they missed a jump is the person turned their right shoulder to their left shoulder. That's all that happened. Yeah. But they immediately saw that. Because they are the best observers there are. They know us better than we know them. Yeah. So it's uh, it's real important that you, uh, if you're doing massage, you're doing acupuncture, you're doing veterinary care, you're doing anything that you know you have a certain energy uh, that's relaxed and professional and f- coming from a knowing space. Excuse it's me. all important. So. Hello, hello. Come here. That's awesome.
0: Let's see. Is there anything current going on right now in the chiropractic field that is a great interest to you,
1: you know, or has of, your attention? One of my goals is to get this licensing thing sort of handled. Mm-hmm. Years ago, when I first started doing this 20 years ago, I had some communication with the veterinary board who told me I was practicing veterinary medicine without a license, which I don't think I was because I'm not a veterinarian. I really don't know what they do. But at this point, the law said nobody can touch animals except a veterinarian. And I respect the board. A board's job is to protect the public. I get that. Mm -hmm. But that isn't what I was doing. So I invited this person to come and see what I'm doing and tell me what I shouldn't be doing. And of course, they weren't interested in doing that. So, you know, this state still has a separate license for chiropractic, a separate license for veterinarian, and veterinarians can work on animals in any capacity, whether they're trained or not, Hmm. and I don't think that's right. I think if animals are being provided chiropractic care, be it a certified, a veterinarian that's certified in animal chiropractic or a chiropractor, they should also be certified in animal chiropractic so that there's a basic understanding of anatomy and physiology and uh, you know, the the, feel, the different field that isn't yours. Um, instead of going to a weekend seminar and learning something, you don't learn a profession in a weekend. You don't learn anything in a weekend. You get exposed to something in a weekend. Um, and that's and, not fair to the animals. That's not fair to the animal, uh, and it's not fair to either profession. Right. It belittles the animals. It belittles the profession. So one of my goals is to... Is to spend some time bridging that gap again, having the two boards get together and talk about, you know, their why this or why that, and look at, you know, I'm affiliated with the AVCA, which is the American Veterinary Cardiac Association. They certify uh, doctors to have a certain proficiency level. They require continuing ed. As a chiropractor in North Carolina, I can do acupuncture if I've certified, and it's the same scenario. I've, I'm not an acupuncturist, but I if I've taken a postgraduate course in acupuncture X number of hours and I continue and continuing ed, I can do acupuncture in my office. It should be the same way for animal chiropractic, as is whether whether you're a chiropractor or veterinarian. You know, there should be a way to not have to look over your shoulder, make sure you're doing the right thing. I work at vet offices so that, you know, that question can get answered. If I have a vet question, there's a vet there that I can, that I can ask. There are some states that require a chiropractor, anybody doing animal chiropractic, if they're a chiropractor, to be observed by a vet. What if the vet's not trained? How how are they going to observe and tell me what I should or shouldn't be doing if that's the goal? Mm -hmm. You know, so let's... Let's change to accommodate what people want. People want the choice of animal chiropractic for their animals. They want the choice of acupuncture for their animals. They want the choice of, of skilled rehab for their animals. So let's find a way to have them be able to access that in the best way possible. And that they can trust it. That they can trust it, yeah. That there's a certain uh, number of steps this individual yes. has gone through to assure they're competent at a certain level. Yes, and it's a beginning level when, you know, when a veterinarian first takes an animal chiropractic course, they're not proficient yet. Just like when I go to chiropractic school and I graduate, I'm not that proficient until I've done for five or 10 years. You know, it's a process. Mm -hmm. So in medical school, you go to medical school, then you do a residency for three to five years. That's your proficiency training. So you're proficient by the time you're done. Uh, at a, at a beginning level until you've done 10,000, then you're proficient at an advanced level. And that's kind of the way it needs to work. Um, so I think more and more states are starting to do that. They're putting a clause in the chiropractic, um, practice act that allows chiropractors to legally quote unquote, do animal chiropractic provided they've you know, taking a proficiency course, a certif- certification course, they've passed a proficiency exam and they mm-hmm. do continuing ed. Whatever the guidelines are, the AVCA is what the people tend to use. Um, and I would like our, my profession to do that as well. Um, in North Carolina, my license does not tell me I can't work on animals. In some states, chiropractic license says you can only work on human spines. So they, they're not supposed to work on animals. You know, we just need to adapt to the times. Licensing boards are there for a reason. They're there to protect the public. I think there's value in that. If they're going to tell me I can't do animal chiropractic and they can tell a veterinarian they can whether they've had no training at all, they're not protecting the public, in my opinion. So I think that's one of the things that I wouldn't say I'm excited about doing it. I'm, I'm excited about having something happen that sort of takes care of this issue so that more and more chiropractors and more and more veterinarians can be excited about adding that to their, to their armamentarium. So. And that's your care. Mm-hmm. You have one of
0: the biggest hearts.
1: Oh, yeah, you know, I'm a big guy. <laughs>
0: well, I just think, thank you. This yeah. has been just an incredible time together. I, yeah. Yeah,
1: you know I have a lot more questions. Yeah, so we'll have to do this again. I'll bring a spine and show people some stuff, and you know, maybe we'll get Gabriel out and show a few things. Um, you know, it keeps evolving. Every dog I see teaches me something, reminds me of something I should be doing or didn't do. Yes. Um, you know, people always did that too. They always reminded me. When you become stagnant in whatever you're doing, it's not as fun, and I'm guessing that your outcomes are not as good. Um, you know, and so you need to look at every dog, every patient that comes in as a new learning experience. Um, and it doesn't mean I have to have the solution. It means I need to be able to observe it's like, man, this is some interesting stuff. I need to check with some of my colleagues, see if they know anything about this. And you keep learning things. I love to learn. And, you yeah. know, it's really important in our lives that we keep that mind active, uh, especially in things that are, are important to us. And animals are important to people. Think of the elderly person in your life that the only people they have, the only people they have around every day is their animals. Their dog, yes. You know? And that's a big part of their lives. And when that dog dies... Or when the owner dies, it's a big change for for both sides, you mm-hmm. know. And you know, there's it's just it's such an honor for me to be able to work with people's animals. It just it's a it's a respect that I have, and I'm respectful of the honor that it is. So.
0: And it shows. Yeah. You show up every single time. Yeah.
1: Just,
0: Thanks. Thank I need you so that much. in writing, though well so you times. have it recording <laughs> <laughs> we'll have it transcribed yeah, yeah there you go yeah. no I just well, think I think the these. world of you think yeah. the world you, what you do is just you show up and you give and and you have qualities and gifts that substantially make a difference mm-hmm. for individuals
1: well thank you for your kind words and I think it's really important in life that we're present you know and mm-hmm. uh, It's just one of those things that's really important. And, you know, our world's becoming much faster and more computer oriented and it's a little harder to be as present sometimes. So then you got to work harder at it. You know, um, I don't have to worry about getting everything down that I would have to get down if I had a person practice to fulfill insurance requirements. You know, I can be more present because I don't have to worry about all that stuff. Uh, it's, 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 healthcare's changed a lot. Um, I'm lucky in the situation I'm in because I get to basically see animals and make a few notes. Um, and I, it's real easy to be present and it's really important. The animal, for the animal, for the owners, um, you know, owners are part of the formula too. They can do the stuff at home. The dog will benefit from it. And it enhances the relationship you have with your animals, you know, when you start doing these things at home. so. Yeah, I don't even remember what your question
0: was. I have one more question. If you'll, <laughs> okay. if you'll, sure, humor sure, me. Sure. Yeah, you touched on it earlier about meditation, mm-hmm. and then right here with the presence, being present. So, you practice meditation.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you touch on that? I do a form of it's called open heart pre- uh, meditation. It's not a meditation in terms of. Um, uh, like Transcendental Meditation or, or some of the other meditations, but it's a way to still myself and feel my heart. And I think when we feel our heart, that's really the essence of love. It's the essence of uh, connection. And so the meditation I do is to be able to open my heart more in any situation to really get the answers I need from within, not necessarily th- from, from my head. So that's kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. It's very wonderful.
0: Yeah, I start my day that way, every day. Yeah, me too, every morning. Every morning? Yeah. Okay, and it shows. Thank you. Thank thank
1: you you. so much for being here today. The pleasure is mine, truly. Okay. I do ramble a lot, you notice. That was incredible. Oh, good.